To the choir master, according to Muth Laban, a psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they have made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for the Psalms. We thank you for what the Psalms reveal to us. They reveal you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would grant us eyes to see you today, to know you, and that we may respond in faith to what we see here in Psalm 9. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There is a, a children's Sunday, uh, Sunday school song uh, that I remember singing often in the basement of my home church as I grew up. My home church's Sunday school hour would always begin in the basement in uh, the fellowship hall down there, not all that different from uh, our basement uh, downstairs except instead of, of carpet like we have, uh, there was a tile floor in my home church, in the basement. So I'd run downstairs when i get there on Sunday mornings to see which of my friends might be there already, but I was usually one of the first kids down there. My parents liked to get to church early. Um, so that meant I had my pick of, of chairs to sit in. There were rows of chairs um, lined up in the fellowship hall. There was little rows of chairs, uh, colored plastic chairs for the little kids uh, to sit in, and then there were just uh, metal 
folding chairs uh, for the older kids uh, to sit in, and each uh, Sunday school class would have its own row of chairs uh, to sit in, so I'd find my row, and I'd, I'd get to pick uh, whatever chair I wanted, usually. Um, it's always cold down there, no matter what time of year. It's in the basement of the church, so either it's cold down there because uh, of of the of the wintertime, and then it either and it's cold down there because of the air conditioning. And I remember sitting on those cold chairs, just waiting for my friends to come. And once all of uh, the children came, and they'd gathered, and they'd found their chairs to sit in in their proper rows next to their Sunday school teachers, uh, our song leader would get up, welcome us all uh, to Sunday school, and introduce the first song. And most of the time, uh, that was my pastor's wife who would be leading the songs, or it was uh, the mother of one of my uh, friends. And she'd hold up those, those, those poster boards, right? Those poster boards with, with the words of the song written out in, in colorful marker on those poster boards. And uh, my aunt would usually be, be the one playing the piano, so I'd see, see my aunt playing the piano, and then they're holding up the poster boards of the song. And uh, most of the time, I was happy that they had those poster boards up because I needed to, to read the words in order to see and sing the song. But there are certain songs, of course, that once you sing them once or twice, you don't need those poster boards anymore, and you kind of wonder why they keep holding them up. Um, but this one song in, in particular, once I sang it twice, I knew it. I, I still know it today. And maybe you know it too. You know, praise him, praise him, all you little children. God is love, God is love. Praise him, praise him, all you little children. God is love, God is love. There are two more verses to that song. The only thing that, that changes in the other two verses is the verb. So it changes from praise him to love him and then to thank him. Always for the same reason, because God is love. I thought about that this week as I was considering Psalm 9 which both praises God for judging the nations and then prays to God, prays for God to come and judge the nations once and for all. And I tried to think if there are any children's sensual songs that I sang with my friends in our church's basement that would ever praise God for his justice or being a righteous judge. I can think of many songs that emphasize God's love for me and for all the children of the world, but I couldn't think of any that talked about God judging the nations. And that's why we must read the Psalms. That's why we must spend time in the Psalms, for the Psalms praise God for all that he is and all that he has done. They, as it says here, they recount all of your, God's, wonderful deeds. The Psalms teach us who God really is. While children's songs and most of the praise choruses that we sing and hear on the radio will, will emphasize God's love for us, they won't teach us about God's justice. They won't praise God for rebuking the nations and making the wicked perish as the psalms will. I mean, those songs don't sell records. Those songs wouldn't, wouldn't have a chance 
on 20, the Countdown magazine. That's why we need to spend time in the Psalms like we are this morning. So the, the main theme here from Psalm 9 is that we are to know the Lord. We are to know the Lord as the righteous judge over all nations who will justify everyone who trusts in him. This is another psalm written by King David, we're, we're told. Again, we're not sure of the context of the psalm. It's, that's just, just not mentioned here for us. The, the psalm breaks up nicely, though, into two main sections. The first half, verses 1 through 12, is like a joyous praise song to God, particularly for his judgments upon wicked nations. And verses 7 through 12 um, in that first half are kind of the key verses, I think, to the whole psalm, which these verses focus on the sovereign reign and authority uh, to judge that God has over all the world. And then there's this transition at verse 13. I wonder if you noticed it when we were reading it. It's a transition through which the psalm seems to turn into a prayer for God to rise up and judge the nations again. Perhaps a longing for God's ultimate kingdom to come upon the earth. So it's a prayer for the final, once for all, straightening out of all wicked humanity, putting the world to rights once and for all. So uh, first let's focus then on verses 1 through 6. And the heading I put over that is the Lord has already revealed he can righteously judge the nation. So David here announces what he is about to do in verses 1 and 2. This is his introduction to the psalm, informing us of what his focus is with each line beginning there with an I will. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your, wondrous, all your, of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. The wonderful deeds which David praises the Lord for in this psalm are his righteous judgments against the wicked nations, which were enemies of King David and of Israel. Look at verses 4 through 6. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end everlasting ruins, their cities you rooted out, the very memory of them has perished. Now when we read First and Second Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, we find there the record of Israel's victories over wicked nations around them. Just think of David's victory over Goliath and the Philistines. You do, do you remember what got David into that fight? Why he chose to volunteer to face Goliath when no one else in Israel's army would do that, not even King Saul, was because Goliath defied the armies of the living God. David says that three times in 1 Samuel 17. Goliath was mocking God. And when you rise up and attack God's people, which Goliath and the, and the, and the Philistines had done, you put yourself under God's judgment. And David warned Goliath of that in 1 Samuel 17, 46. He said, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head 
For the battle belongs to the Lord, and he will give you into our hand. And the defeat of Goliath by David's sling was just one of the wonderful deeds that David was probably recounting as he praised the Lord in this psalm. It was definitely one to remember. But it isn't the only one of the Lord's wonderful deeds that David recalls to praise and thank the Lord for with this psalm. For David says, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. So is it something that, that you ever do? Are the wonderful deeds of the Lord something that you ever call to mind in your day-to-day -day life? If not, well, what are the things that, that you regularly call to mind? The memories that, that, that most often dominate your thinking, what, what you're dwelling on day by day. Is, is, is it past hurts? Times when, when, when someone let you down? Do you often recount disappointments that left you bitter and discouraged? I mean, let's admit, it's pretty easy for us to recount times when we were hurt or to recount people who let us down. Pondering those deeds do not make us glad, nor do they lead us to praise the Lord. And David here is instructing us to instead recount all of the wonderful deeds of the Lord. We, we, we can do that best by spending time each day reading his word. For the Bible is all about the Lord's wonderful deeds. In this book, we see God's great plan of redemption Play it out for us. When we read the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, we see what David was thinking about here in the psalm. Times when the Lord revealed his righteous justice against the nations. Every act of deliverance is a reason for God's people to praise his name. Look back again at verses 4 through 6. Again, David says, uh, verse 5, you have rebuked the nations, you have made the wicked perish, you have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out, the very memory of them has perished. I mean, think about it. Are there cities with the names of Sodom and Gomorrah still in the Jordan Valley of Palestine? What about the city of Jericho? Is that still around? Are the Philistines still a strong and powerful nation in this world? How about the, the Amalekites? Have you heard much about them when you scroll through your newsfeed? What are the Philistines up to now? Well, why, why not? Well, because the Lord rebuked the nations, the Lord made the wicked perish, the Lord blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. So let's, let's extend that out to the kings and the nations that rose up against the early church. How about the Roman Empire? Emperor Nero. You know, what, what happened to them? Nero was the Roman emperor in the first century who would string up Christians on poles in his garden and light them on fire and have them serve as lanterns for his parties. Nero is the emperor who, who killed the apostles Peter and Paul. One early 
Christian writer prophesied that the day would come when many citizens would name their sons Paul, but they would only name their dogs Nero. And that day has come. That day has certainly come. As did the fall and the destruction of Rome and the Roman Empire. And of course, every single one of those emperors who murdered Christians and tried to wipe out the church are all dead and will soon uh, stand before God in the great judgment. So there's one nation and one people that we do still hear a lot about. A nation that has survived since the time of David in spite of hundreds of attempts by enemies to wipe it out. And that is the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. We still hear Israel mentioned almost weekly in the news. And in spite of the most powerful nation in the world, in the early centuries trying to eradicate Christianity, we still find ourselves this morning gathered together to worship King Jesus on another Lord's Day morning as groups of Christians are meeting today all across the world. So what does this teach us? God's word's true, my friends. It is true. We can trust that he will righteously judge the nations because he already has in so many ways. And secondly, verse 7 through 12, the oppressed of the world have an ally in the sovereign Lord who judges and reigns over all. So verses 7 and 8, I think, are just the keynote verses of the entire psalm here. These are two verses. Uh, uh, these two verses would, would, would make up the chorus. Uh, if the psalm were a modern praise and worship song, this, these, are the psalm, these are the verses that we'd repeat over and over again. Again, verse 7 and 8, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord, in in verse 7, and in the whole psalm, is, of course, a translation of the name of God in Hebrew. Whenever you see the Lord in in the Old Testament with, with all capital letters, that means that's the name of God. That's Yahweh. Yahweh. Yahweh sits enthroned. Yahweh is the one on the throne over all the world and over all the universe which he created. And how long has he sat there on that throne as the sovereign ruler, the sovereign authority over all things? Well, it says forever. He's, he sat there forever. He's always been there. And how long will he sit there as judge over all peoples? Again, he sits enthroned forever. And who all will have to face the Lord's judgment Who all does he sit in authority over as the righteous eternal judge? Well, again, look at verse 8. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples or the nations in uprightness. The nations or the peoples are mentioned quite often in this psalm. David is making it clear. Yahweh is not just the God of the Hebrews. He's not just the God over the nation of Israel. He's not just the God over Christians. He is the one God who sits enthroned over all the world. He is the judge whom all nations will have to answer to. His law is not just something for his people to follow. All peoples will have to give an account for refusing to honor him as the one true God. All peoples will will be held accountable for taking the Lord's name in vain. Anyone in all of history who has murdered or who have committed sexual immorality or have stolen or spoke lies trying to deceive others, anyone in all the world who has coveted 
that which did not belong to them will be judged by the one who sits enthroned forever, by Yahweh, the Lord. All peoples, whether or not they, they loved God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength, all peoples, whether or not they love their neighbor as themselves, they will, they will face him. He sits on the throne. He sits on the, the judgment seat. No one will ever knock him off of that throne. He will judge the world with righteousness and all the peoples with uprightness. So friends, there is no one else who will sit on that throne of judgment forever. There is no one else who will ultimately judge all the peoples of the world. It won't be any of our Supreme Court justices. It won't be the President of the United States, whether or not you think that's Biden or, or Trump right now. It won't be your friends or any of your neighbors. No one else, no one else will be on that throne but the one who created you in his image. The one who has known you even before you were formed in your mother's womb. The one who will sit on that throne of judgment over all the world is the same one who came into the world and fulfilled God's law and all righteousness for us. And then he willingly laid down his life for sinners, taking the judgment against our sin and guilt for us on the cross. He is the one who sits on that throne. He is the one who will judge all the peoples of the world. John 5.22 says this, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Then he says the good news about the coming judgment in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word, this is Jesus speaking, hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So it is good news, not bad news, that Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord, the Son of Man, is the one who sits enthroned forever and who will judge the peoples with righteousness. This is good news, for we see in verses 9 and 10, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, and those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. We in America need to have a history lesson. When we read the Bible, when we follow the story of God's people through the scriptures, one thing that we are to notice is that God's people were always a minority. They were persistently oppressed, persistently hated by those in power. With just a few years uh, as, as an exception during the reigns of David and Solomon, God's people were the poor of the world. Following the beginnings of the early church, if, we, uh, if uh, it, it uh, remained uh, the reality that God's people throughout the world were the ones who were the minority. But we here in America, you know, believers who have grown up in the, in the United States have not experienced that for the most part. We need to realize that we are the exception 
in history. Even today, across the world, Christians are the minority. They are the poor. They are the oppressed in places like Mexico, in South America, in Central America, in Africa, in Asia, in the Middle East. Compared to believers in America, every day for them is a day of trouble. But it says, for the oppressed who know Jesus' name, those who know him, for the poor who put their trust in God through Jesus, they will not be forsaken. The Lord will be a stronghold for them to keep their faith strong in times of trouble and to provide for their needs in times when they are not able to provide for themselves because of the greed and the oppression of their enemies. Today, one of the ways that the Lord provides for the needs of many believers who are suffering from poverty, who have been oppressed in, uh, throughout the world is through ministries founded and funded by Christians here in the States. You probably financially supported some of them. You know, ministries like Samaritan's Purse, Compassion International, and even the Evangelical Free Church Mission has a ministry called Global Fingerprints, which provides da for daily needs for a thousand, uh, thousands of Christian families and education for their children. The EFCA uh, mission doesn't just seek to provide for materi material needs for them, but I also have several friends who have been involved in training pastors and church leaders how to interpret God's word and to preach faithfully for their churches in places like Asia and Africa. The Lord has shown himself to be an ally and a stronghold for the oppressed who know his name. So what is the what is to be the response then of those whom the Lord cares for? How should the oppressed who have been helped by the Lord respond? Well, you know, when we have recounted the wonderful deeds of the Lord, when we have recalled his mighty acts of salvation and his judging of the nations in his word and throughout history, what are we to do in response? We'll look at verse 11. It says, sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. So here's just another great description of a Christian. This is a believer. People who know God by name, who have put their trust in him, we sing praises to the Lord. And we go and tell the peoples his saving works. That's what we do. So brother or sister, would these verses accurately describe you? Is this an accurate description of, of who you are? Maybe you're, you are reading your Bibles daily. Maybe, maybe you are coming to church every week, taking part in Sunday school, maybe even taking part in a Bible study regularly. But, but does that then lead you in your lives to sing praises to the Lord for his righteous judgments? Has it led you then to just tell among the peoples his wonderful deeds? When you fill up your heart and mind, with his word, does it lead to you then opening your mouth and telling the peoples of his wonderful deeds? Lastly here, verses 13 through 20, uh, the Lord's righteous judgment of the nations is good news for the poor. Now this, this is a, there's a transition here at verse 13. Uh, the nature of the psalm turns from a song of praise and thanksgiving to a prayer for God's intervention. Once again, this is actually very normal for believers for God's people, 
This is, this is kind of how we go about our times of worship and private prayer. Um, in our worship services, we often begin with songs of praise, just like the psalm does, and then we, then we move toward prayer. Uh, when, when, when I or, or Pastor Ron uh, will, will get up and pray on behalf of the congregation. And even in our prayers, we, we often uh, begin them with declarations of praise, and then that praise then leads us to confession of sin, which in turn leads us to even more praise and thanksgiving for God's grace in redeeming us from our sins, which then leads us to what? It leads us to petitions, to requests for more of God's grace and mercy. That's kind of how the psalm is moving as well, from praise and thanksgiving for God's salvation and judging the nations to then petitions, requests for God's gracious intervention on our behalf once again. Now, we, we don't have time uh, to work through all these verses this morning, but I want to highlight a couple of things that we see here. First, there is this focus on the poor and the needy. We saw that already in verse 9. And now we see it again in verse 18. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. The, the, this verse, of course, comes in the context of judgment, of, 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 of David praying to God that he would judge the wicked. In fact, uh, there is this divide or there, there is this distinction made here in these two verses, verse 17 and 18, between those whom the Lord will judge and the poor and the needy whom the Lord will care for and deliver. So let's read them together. Verse 17 and 18. The wicked shall return to Sheol, or the place of the dead. All the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. And the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. So there's something that the Lord's going to do for the needy and the poor. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that, that forget God for, the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Now we ought to take note how often in the scriptures, God is on the side of the poor and the oppressed, and is against the rich and the powerful, because they are often the ones who oppress the poor. They are, uh, but, 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 but there are here two key characteristics of the poor that the Lord shelters and cares for in this psalm that we also must not miss. Again, if you look back at verse 10, there the poor are to look forward to God's judgment coming, they, for they will be vindicated, but only those, it says, who know him, know his name, and put their trust in him. God's promised here that he will never forsake only those who seek him. So as this psalm also shows, verse 17, judgment will come. Judgment will come, but we will have to wait for it. Look again, verse 17, the wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. The wicked shall return to Sheol. It hasn't happened yet. The wicked on the earth have not all been judged yet. They've not all been cast into the lake of fire, the place of eternal torment, but it will come. They, they, they shall. They shall return to Sheol. And notice again who God's judgment will fall on in this way. 
Second half of verse 17. All the nations that what? Forget God. All the nations that forget God. This should cause us to tremble, right? This should cause us to tremble. If there's one nation on this earth that fits this description maybe better than any other nation at this time in history, it is the United States of America. We have forgotten God. And judgment will fall. Unless we repent. So pray for repentance. Pray for an awakening in our nation. In Washington, D.C., in the blue states, here in northeast Nebraska, pray. Pray for repentance for all that have forgotten God. Judgment is coming. And for the poor and the needy who are addressed here in verse 18, often what they lack more than wealth, more than resources, often what the poor and needy lack are relationships. They don't have relationships with those who can help them. They are are cut off from those who have access to the resources that would improve their situation. The poor don't have relationships with the influential or the powerful. And the ones that might think that they do have relationships with them soon realize that the powerful are just exploiting them for their own political gains. But God is telling them here, they can have a relationship with the most powerful, the most elite, the sovereign judge over all the world, the one who sits enthroned forever, they can know him. They can have a relationship with him. If they seek him, if they trust him, they will then not be forgotten by him, and their hope for justice will soon be realized. He will come and judge for them. They will be justified and all those who exploited them will return to the place that they belong. The wicked shall return to Sheol. So may I suggest a few more verses for that well-known Sunday school chorus that I used to sing down in my church's basement. How about we add this? Praise him, praise him, all you little children. God is just. God will judge. Praise him, praise him, all you little children. God will judge. God will judge. Now as we move towards the table, I'll invite our deacons to come forward who will help to serve the meal. This might leave us in, in, in kind of a troubled spot. God's going to judge. God's going to judge all the nations, all the peoples that have forgotten God. And, and maybe, maybe this morning you are saying to yourself, that's me. I'm, I'm one of those that have forgotten God. Um, what, what can I do? And again, as, as the psalm showed us, you, you can go to him. You can go to the judge. The judge is Jesus. And Jesus came, and, and as we will soon uh, participate in, he came and he laid down his life 
he was judged in our place on the cross. So that you, if you would trust in him, if you would repent of your sin and your unrighteousness, if, if you would do that, you can then be justified before God, before the one who will judge all the nations. He laid down his life. And if you are looking to him and not yourself for your salvation, for, for the forgiveness of your sins, to, to, to stand right with God forever, if you are looking to Jesus and you're honoring him, saying he is the Savior, he is the Lord, he is the King, and, and you're beginning to walk according to that truth, following him, trusting his word, well, then when judgment comes, you'll be justified. You'll find yourself justified. You'll find yourself being welcomed in to the kingdom and being with God forever as opposed to being cast out. So I invite the men forward here as I'll give the instructions for the Lord's table as they're found in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then we're given a warning. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, it says, and so eat of the bread of the cup, uh, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so again, what this is just telling us is that the Lord's table is for those who put their faith and hope in the Lord. They, they, they are walking with him. They are following him. They are trusting in, in him. And if that's, if that's not you, if that's not where you are at right now in your life, well then, the table's not for you. We just ask you to pass the tray on by and not participate. But again, hear that invitation. Judgment's coming. And God has already sent the Savior. The one who was on the throne is the one who died in your place and received God's judgment for you on your behalf. Put your faith and hope in him. And you can then participate in this as well as participate in the kingdom. I'll pass, I'll pass out the trays of the bread to the men here. They'll be passing them out to you. Just invite you to take one piece and hold on to that until all have been served and we'll partake of the bread together. Let's pray. Father, we, we ask now for your help, your blessing upon us as we uh, partake of the bread. Lord, help us as a church to have confidence in the work of Christ on our behalf on the cross to trust what you say in your word, that all who put their faith and hope in him will stand justified before you and will be forgiven of their sins and will be made righteous in your sight through him, through Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.